Why is it that John the Baptist was in the wilderness? And that's not a standalone thing. When you look at prophets throughout the Old Testament, you often see they're on the outskirts of society, calling for those inside to repent. They're outside the ordinary avenues of civilization. They're not people who are really prominent with a large political voice, or maybe they're a chief priest who gets a lot of attention. Why is it that we often see this happen? And even Jesus himself gets pushed to the outskirts of society. And you know, as we look at that today, we're going to find that there's actually liberty in being outside the popular culture. If you want to have a large impact on the culture, perhaps the way to do that is by being faithful and not actually caring about your influence at all. It's one of those weird things. And we're going to look today at what it means to be outside the ordinary institutions, where there's an ability to think clearly and also be free from worldly conformity, and as we knew it in kindergarten, peer pressure. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. There's one other with me here in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And Pastor Amanda, would you start by reading our scripture today out of Matthew 11? All right. So hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 11, starting in verse 16. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they said he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. All right. The reason why I wanted us to go to Matthew eleven sixteen to 19 to answer this question of why the prophets are outside is because of the logic which Jesus teaches to us. Inside society, we often find people creating systems that cannot be proven wrong. In other words, if you come in, you eat, well, you're a drunkard, you're a glutton. If you don't eat or drink, well, you have a demon, which is an interesting jump. <laughs> I think Amanda's over there laughing. Yeah. It's an interesting leap. But you can't prove it wrong. The world will be proven right no matter what. It won't let you, within its ordinary structures, actually do something which is true. But as Jesus says, in the end, wisdom is proved right by our deeds. And what I want us to think about today is that the world really wants you to play its game. It wants you to step out of the fortification of God and throw away the vocabulary of God, the, the scriptures and stuff like that, step into its arena through its technicalities and try to defeat it at its own game. You're not going to do that. It's not a good plan. But what you will find is that with the world, there's no winning. There's only submission to the world. However, outside of that, when you take that step out there into the wilderness, you're eating the locust, you're crazy, or the world thinks so, but maybe the world thinks that because it has no power over you. It doesn't matter if you are called a glutton or demon-possessed. It really doesn't matter. The world has no power over you when you've taken that step to go outside of its you know, influence of peer pressure. Because there really is no a, people, a way to appease the people in this text. There's no way to do that. But there is great liberty in stepping outside of that and being freed from it. And I just wanted us to take a quick look at that today. And Pastor Amanda, I'll kind of let you come in and take your analysis on all of this. Yeah, well, I think what's interesting is Jesus is, in the context of this conversation, he says this because John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, like kind of as a, a double check as, as John is now in prison, because um, yeah. he has been outside of society condemning the things that as society has done, really the structures, the, the systems of power have been doing, and it, it, it leads him to being captured. And he kind of sends out his disciples and says, double check and make sure that this person who I thought was the Messiah is really it. And what Jesus tells then the disciples is, 
go and tell John what you hear, what you see. And he begins to list the things that Jesus has done. You know, Jesus has healed. Um, let's see here. I've got it pulled up. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have, been, have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who doesn't take offense at me. And then that's when Jesus turns to the crowd and kind of gives the dissertation that we just read. And it's interesting there. Then also the passage concludes, as we read, that wisdom is vindicated by her deeds or by her children. It is, if you're looking around and trying to figure out, all right, how do I change my culture? Do I, do I need to become someone within the systems of power or what? And Jesus just simply says, you know, heal, heal people. Bring about goodness and life. Uh, preach the good news, the gospel, which um, in Mark's gospel, uh, the narrative, according to Mark, he, sa- he ties the word gospel with this idea of liberty and being yeah. set free from oppressive systems. Yeah. And to that point, John, he does. He's, John is a huge threat to the systems, but not because he goes up there and slaps Herod around. <laughs> He's actually just preaching repentance out in the wilderness. But. As you just kind of referenced, you cannot separate repentance from liberty. If you, if you really understand true liberty, liberty is freedom from those inescapable burdens. And the chief among those is that sin, which is attached to your soul. When John is out there preaching repentance, that has an effect on everybody, all the people. But it also works its way up there too, Herod, as if John rolled up in there and did slap him. <laughs> and it ends up having John arrested and decapitated over that because it's a big threat to give people that sort of liberty. And Jesus, he comes and fulfills this long, just to an extent that John can't even imagine. But nonetheless, they're able to do this so well outside of concern for whether or not we're wailing when you want us to wail, we're dancing when you want to play the flute. And I love how Jesus just concludes all that simply by saying, wisdom is proved right by our deed. She is vindicated by her fruits, her children. The truth, when it is allowed to have its day, it is its own reward. You don't need to be concerned about officiality in order to do that. You just need to be concerned about the truth. So I think it's just a really interesting thing to look at, and I think it really helps me understand why it is that you do see the prophets oftentimes outside the society, out there you know, pulling their hair out and eating the bugs. Well, and I think the thing is, even when we have seen the Old Testament prophets who maybe started in places of power, um, trying to remember one of them, Ezra or Nehemiah were, were priests. They may not have been the highest priest. I think it was Ezra, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was a priest. So he was kind of in, already in a position of power. Um, we see Daniel thrust into positions of power. Yeah. Um, but for every time they've been put in those places of power, maybe start in those places of power, their message was so contrary to the power systems, their yeah. story usually ends with, well, Daniel in a lion's den. Yeah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego end up in a fiery furnace. Yeah. Um, the prophet, the story of the prophets usually end with, and they killed the prophets. Yeah. Um, and so I think John the Baptist was just really smart and was like, instead of being like, uh, chased out of town with uh, pitchforks and torches. I'll just start on the outskirts of town. And people then came to the wilderness to hear John the Baptist's message. And Jesus, again, the people try to thrust Jesus into power. And they try to thrust him to be the king and the Messiah in the way they wanted the king and the Messiah to act. And where does that lead Jesus? Yes, he's being heralded as king on Palm Sunday, but you know, Easter Sunday is just a week away where the yep. crowds will turn on them. So it's interesting because I think people truly 
in the depths of our souls, we want wholeness, we want hope, we want grace, we want mercy. But when we are confronted with the cost of that grace and that mercy, we want to reject it then because it costs too much. It costs yeah. our our self selfishness, our self-preservation, our will, our desires. And so then for some, that rejection turns into crucifying, destroying, killing, murdering, whatever has brought about that message of repentance, peace, wholeness, grace, and mercy. And it is, like you said, I think it's interesting, especially in our modern world, as Christianity has grown to be more prominent and more powerful, I don't think we can count or discount someone's ministry based on their numbers. I, I, I won't say either, like, you're not a good minister just because you have a thousand followers, but nor would I say you're a bad minister because you have a thousand followers. But at the same time, what we have to then to evaluate is what the impact of their ministry, whether again a pastor officially or all believers are to be ministers, is what has been our message that we're proclaiming. And if there are a lot of people following us, why are a lot of people following us? If there's a lot of people disagreeing with us, why are they disagreeing with us? And again, because the world will play those games with us where they'll say, okay, you're too popular, so you must be phony, or you're not popular enough, so you must not be having like a message worth proclaiming. And again, they'll discredit us. They'll say, you know, one's a glutton, the other one has a demon. And what Jesus is saying is you're being caught up in the wrong yeah, things. Absolutely. And this is the message that we're supposed to be seeking. And again, the the people, the crowds, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, all these people will make these arguments again. They'll say he can't be the Messiah because he's from Galilee. He can't be the Messiah because, uh, or he's from Nazareth or whatever. And they'll try to f pinpoint all these things. And then at the same time, they'll use the same the same prophets to then tell Herod to go kill all the babies in Bethlehem because it says out of Bethlehem. Yeah. So it they, they will play these games and what it will ultimately serve is to their own destruction because again they try to kill or one of the high priests says let's kill Jesus so there's not a riot and a couple decades later there's a riot and it completely destroys the temple the new temple and and uh, Judaism is forever the trajectory of the faith is forever changed because of it sure and just to have some final thoughts real quick to wrap this up None of us are immune from being caught up in these games. Oh, yeah. We have to realize that deception is powerful. And self-awareness is something which is, is very difficult. We have to realize that to actually look at truth, as Jesus says, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. To actually look at that is so liberating. And one of the problems that Jesus is up against is there's a lot of people who think they are without deception. They're without folly. They say, ah, no prophet comes from Galilee. See, I'm the wise one. <laughs> I'm smart. There's a lot of people who do that. They say, ah, well, that tribe over there, they were bad. That group of people, they did something wicked. Therefore, I'm right over here with mine. That's how you set yourself up to be caught up in the games of the world, not rejecting them. Mm. So we'll end that there. We thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos. God love you and have a blessed day.